It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello everyone and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. And today I am so happy to welcome Drew Young to the Doing Good podcast. Drew is a native of the East Coast. He grew up in Connecticut and now lives in Utah with his wife and daughter. His first book was published in 2020 called The Meaning of Your Mission, Lessons and Principles to Know You Are Enough, and debuted as a number one bestseller and continues to help individuals understand their worth and overcome perfectionism. In addition, his second book, Stand Guard at the Door of Your Mind, was released this August of 2021 and became a number one bestseller in helping people increase their mental wellness. Most recently, Drew served as the publicity manager at Franklin Covey, Franklin Covey assisting in managing best-selling book launches, social media campaigns, as well as booking high-profile thought leaders, storytellers, and celebrities for On Leadership, which is the fastest-growing and largest leadership development podcast globally. Drew is a certified professional coach and works to help individuals increase their mental wellness, overcome perfectionism, anxious tendencies, improve their scholastic professional performance, promote positive mindsets in their lives, and recover from habitual pornography use. He holds subsequent certificate certifications as a community and disaster recovery coach as well. Drew is an advocate for and speaker on topics such as mental health, suicide prevention, and bullying prevention. To get in touch with Drew, you can find him on social media at Mr. Drew B. Young or send him an email, drewbandrew at gmail.com. Awesome. Lots of ways to get a hold of you, Drew, and to talk about all these incredible things that you are doing. You are doing so much good, specifically <laughs> in, in promoting and, and, and normalize, promoting mental health and awareness and, and normalizing people that deal with all sorts of different mental health issues that it's not, it doesn't need to be a taboo thing. We don't need to be uncomfortable talking about it. Um, you want to kind of make this, Hey, look, we all struggle and we can all get better. And, and here's how I did it. Is that right? A hundred percent. I know that was a, that was a mouthful to get through in the bio. So <laughs> kudos, kudos to you. <laughs> um, you have, but yeah, absolutely. There's, you have, done so much in in your young life so far and I would love to start out by talking about your latest book the stand guard at the door of your mind which is to increase mental wellness and and yeah. and you want to bring awareness to becoming mentally healthy and emotionally healthy so tell me about this book why you wrote it and what was the catalyst to yeah. to releasing something like this yeah so this book is really the um, kind of the cultivation of three or four really difficult years that I had in my life mentally and emotionally from ages kind of 19 to 23. Those are my, I call them my hell years where I, you know, woke up every day and uh, was having panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And I experienced depression and suicide ideation. And uh, I was seeing a therapist every other week and I was trying to take all these different medications to try and rebalance out my, you know, chemical imbalance in my brain. And, you know, I felt a lot of judgment from people, a lot of judgment from family, friends, community leaders, people in my neighborhood. 
uh, I felt alone. I felt like I was a burden. I felt like I, you know, didn't have a place, didn't have a purpose, didn't have a mission in life. And as I tried to grapple with all of those really difficult, dark thoughts, I still had that little glimmer of hope, that little tiny sliver of, you know, maybe life can get better for me. And so I held on to that. And I, I tried to do the best that I could every day to feed my mind, even though it was damaged, even though it was bruised, even though um, it had problems, I could still do things every day to try and get me where I wanted to go in the future. And so every day I wrote in my journal, every day I listened to motivational speeches, uh, inspirational speeches, every day I tried to read something that would help me feel uplifted, help me feel positive. Um, I, you know, held on to a lot of mentors that uh, had written books or done different things in terms of helping people increase their mental wellness. And then once I kind of moved past those hell years, probably at the age of 24, I was like, I want to write a book about everything I've learned. I want to write a book about everything I've read and listened to about my personal experiences trying to deal with mental health, trying to eliminate the stigma and be an advocate for people that don't have a voice. And that's where this book came from, from my own struggle, from things that I'd learned and from how badly and how passionate I am around ending stigmas, helping people feel better about themselves mentally and emotionally, and really just starting the conversation because that's what it's all about is people start to heal when they feel heard. And yeah. I'm, I'm all about that. So has this been something that you've dealt with your whole life or was it brought on in your, you know, when you were a teenager, was, have you always struggled with yeah. feelings of depression or was it something that was situational or seasonal mm -hmm. or, and how did you know, like, oh, this isn't just normal. I feel sad or I feel bad. I'm having a hard week. Like I might need mm -hmm. help for this. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I've dealt with anxiety uh, for as long as I can remember. Growing up, I experienced a lot of separation anxiety, uh, which is basically where I was super fearful, panicky. Um, I cried a lot whenever my mom would leave, and I was really attached to her emotionally. And so that ebbed and flowed through my, throughout my entire childhood, probably until I was 16 or 17. Uh, and then I had a traumatic experience when I was 19, and that kind of launched the depression part of my mental illness journey. And so I had experienced a lot of anxiety growing up, but I never really had depression, never really had panic attacks per se. But when I kind of had that really stressful traumatic experience, that's when it launched into the suicidal thoughts, the depression, the anxiety, the more generalized type of mental health behaviors. And what what did you think when when you when you were going through this? Was it okay? I I need to get medication. I need to see a psychiatrist. I need to see a therapist. Or was it all just so overwhelming? You're like, I don't know what to do. Like, what what steps did you take? What was like the first step that you're like, okay, this is what I need to do to get myself healthy? Yeah. Well, the first thing that I really that really I guess happened in my own life was I was confused because I'd never experienced anything like that before. And so I thought that at first I just thought, oh, maybe this is, you know, something seasonal. 
maybe this is just a funk I'm going through. Even though I knew deep down it was bigger than that, I tried to downplay it because I knew that there was a stigma around it. I didn't want to come across as weak. I didn't want to come across as not having it all figured out. I didn't didn't want to be judged. Um, And so I kind of played that game for, you know, two months until finally I just had an emotional mental breakdown. Um, And that's where I really woke up to, okay, I need some serious help. And so that's when I was able to get in touch with a, counselor, a psychiatrist. Um, I was put on medication for the first time in my life. I'd never taken any medication before to help with that. And that journey, you know, it's, it's a lifelong journey. I'm still, you know, taking medication. I'm still seeing therapists, you know, and uh, I'm still doing all those things that I was at first doing because I know that I need to keep doing those things in order to stay healthy. It's not just, okay, I went for, you know, three years, I'm done. Life is good. It's a continual process of trying to get better. Did writing this book, was that helpful and healing or did it bring back a lot of for you? Oh, oh, it was healing. It was um, liberating and invigorating, but it also brought back some memories that I had, you know, tried to push down you know, and tried to hide a little bit, which is actually good because things need to be brought to the surface in order to be healed. Yeah. And so um, it did both. And I'm grateful that it did both. And why did you want to write this? Was it, I want to help other people that are going through this. I want them to know that, hey, I got through this and, and here's what helped me. Or was it kind of like a a, a journal of your life or, you know, like a yeah. memoir of, I mean, what, 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 why did you want to write that book in specific, the stand guard at the door of your mind? Yeah. All of those reasons. So it was really my, my kind of personal memoir of, you know, this is my struggle. This is what I went through and this is how I got better. It was, I, I would say probably that's maybe 30%. Um, and then I'd say 65% was, I really want to help people. I really want to give back. I want people to know that I'm an advocate. I want people to know that they can read this book and they can understand that, you know, regardless of the challenges they face mentally and emotionally, they can make it, they can do it. They can get the help that they need. And then I would say maybe the last 5% of writing it was to kind of establish myself as a advocate, as a resource for people to turn to in terms of if they want, you know, a speaker, if they want a coach, uh, various things like that. So a large portion of it was, I just want to help people. I want people to be able to look at me and say, okay, because Drew did it, I can do it. So what about the title, the stand guard in, in, in particular? So Mm -hmm. is it about not letting bad thoughts in? Is, is it about being prepared for the bad thoughts when they come? Tell me about using that title. So yeah, that's a great question. I mean, our our minds are are like a mental factory and we get to decide what ingredients go into that factory. It's not up to us to decide the output. The output is, you know, whatever we put in. Our brains aren't designed to, you know, give us different things. They're designed to produce results, right? And it's our it's up to us to decide what we want to put into our brains. And so the, the stand guard at the door of your mind is really all about, you know, when it comes to our thoughts, our thoughts determine 
what we do and what we do determines, you know, the discipline and the character that we have and the character that we have determines what our life turns out to be. And so if we don't stand guard, if we don't protect our minds from the weeds of life, I guess you could say, then we're going to be in trouble. And everybody, you know, regardless of how old they are, or who they are, or what they do, we're always going to have negative thoughts coming into our minds. But as long as we have the right processes and the ability to say, you know what, I know who I am and I know that this isn't a good thought for me right now and this isn't what I want to be thinking about because I'm thinking of who I want to become, then we'll be okay and we can filter out those thoughts and create a great life for ourselves. How do you filter out those thoughts? Because um, sometimes um, we can control the input, but sometimes there's there's images, there's there's voices, there's things on social media that is kind of forced upon us, mm-hmm. you know, if we're partakers of social media and if yeah. in conversations with people that will just say things that will make you think, wait a minute, what? So how do you filter out those negative thoughts or those or those scary thoughts, the suicidal thoughts? How do you go about are there tools that mm-hmm. you've learned how to do? Do you like physically stop and say, wait, nope, not thinking that? Do you imagine? Like sometimes I tell my boys, like imagine there's a broom inside your mind and, and imagine the bad thoughts mm-hmm. and it's sweeping the bad thoughts away. What are some tools that you found helpful to filter those thoughts out? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So a lot of the times when we're experiencing anxious thoughts, stressful thoughts, when we feel kind of weighed down, um, a big part of that comes from our amygdala in our brains, which is basically what the emotional center of our brains. So worry, anxiety, fear, stress, panic, you know, negativity in a sense comes from the amygdala portion of our brain. And when we feel super overwhelmed with those thoughts and feelings, the prefrontal cortex, the, the front part of our brain where we are logical, where we make good decisions, that part completely turns off. And it's super, it's super ironic because the moment we need that part of our brain the most is the moment when it's off. And so that's why, you know, people engage in, you know, negative behaviors such as, you know, viewing pornography or marijuana or binge eating or, you know, overthinking and worrying and, you know, swimming on all these negative thoughts is because they don't know how to turn on that thinking part, that logical part of their brain when their emotional part of their brain is taken over. And so something that I help people understand, and this is something that I do in my coaching a lot, is I help people turn on that prefrontal cortex so that they can start thinking more rationally. Because a lot of the times when we're thinking rationally, we don't do stupid things. Right. It's when it's when we're not thinking rationally that we say the mean word, that we do the dumb thing, that we say, oh, crap, what was I thinking? And so one of the biggest things that I advise people to do when they're experiencing that influx of negativity or um, stress or anxiety or worry, anything like that, is to get out a piece of paper and a pencil or pen or their phone if they have a note section on there and to write down exactly what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Because what that does is the moment we start writing down is when our prefrontal cortex turns back on. Oh, interesting. Uh, just the process of writing something down, just the process of typing something in on our phones turns on that <clears throat> prefrontal cortex and we start to think a lot more clearly. So that's a long, long answer to a short question of how we can kind of filter out those thoughts. That's a great answer is to just put pen to paper or 
fingers to phone and write it down and, and get your brain just just get it fired up again. You know, it's like starting a generator. Like, yeah, oh, stop exactly. it working again. Can you tell me about a time you, you mentioned that um, you had had some suicidal thoughts? And, and as we know, September is National Suicide Awareness Month. And when you first started having them, were you like, oh, this is weird? Or was it like, were you at a point where you felt so low in your life that you were seriously, honestly mm-hmm. contemplating that? And 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 what? who did you talk to about those thoughts and, and feelings? And, and what can you maybe tell? This is like a three-part question. So, you know, yeah. how did it start? And, and what did you do about them? And then how who did you talk to and and how did you get help if there are parents that are listening that have had a child maybe say i wish i were dead or i just yeah. want to die I, I i i wish i wasn't here anymore are those serious i mean are should they take those yeah. seriously what can they do about that absolutely absolutely so my own kind of journey going down into those suicidal thoughts started when i was just kind of at the end of my my rope when, you know, I'd been on two or three different types of medication that weren't working. When I felt like I was a burden to everybody, when I felt like I was a failure, like I had no purpose. That's when those suicidal, suicidal thoughts started to creep in. And, you know, I got to that point where I seriously contemplated, you know, doing what I thought that I would never do, but I was really wanting to do in the moment because I just couldn't see a way out of that dark place. And I read a quote that basically said that those who are contemplating ending their lives don't want to die. They just don't want to live, if that makes sense. They don't want to live how they've been living. They don't want to feel how they've been feeling. Um, Yes. They don't want to die. They don't want to leave. They don't want to take their lives, but they don't want to continue to feel how they've been feeling because it's so painful. And so if parents are out there listening to this and they have a child who has maybe retreated more isolated in the past, you know, a few weeks, maybe they're normally bubbly and happy and all of a sudden they isolate a lot. They feel like they're a burden. They kind of have a darker Um, kind of personality about them. They may say things like, you know, I feel so alone or um, I feel like I'm a burden or I don't want to be here anymore. Those are massive red flags. And a lot of the times people will just kind of brush them off like, oh, you're being dramatic or, you know, stop saying things like that. You don't really mean it. When in actuality, it's really, really severe. Um, Especially in the last year with COVID, there's been research done that denoted that, you know, anxious tendencies have increased over 300% among people. And so when someone has a child or a loved one that they can see, and it's really important to be aware because if we're not aware, we're not going to be able to notice these things. Right. And so if we're aware that something is going on visually, maybe they're not, they may not be saying anything to you, but visually, if they're acting a way that is a little alarming, that's a good time to go in and have a conversation and say, you know, how are you feeling? And if they say I'm fine, that means they're not fine. 
And we all know that whenever we respond right. with, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm that fine. usually means something deeper is going on, right? Yeah. Right. So to be able to open up and have that conversation and say, listen, I want to be really vulnerable with you right now. I've noticed that you have been isolating a lot more recently. You haven't been yourself. Um, what, what can I do for you? What is going on? Because, and you may have to say, you may have to say, you know, suicide is a big thing right now for people your age. And I just want you to know if you're feeling that way, please come talk to me and I will be there for you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to downplay your emotions because I know how serious it can be. And once children, once teenagers, once adults start to feel like they're not going to be judged for coming to the table with something that vulnerable, then the conversation immediately flips and you can be able to save lives. Who who was that person for you, Drew, that you talked to? My psychiatrist, um, my psychiatrist and my counselor. Uh, nothing against my my family or anything, but they weren't in a position to help me. Um, and they they were more on the the side of not being mentally aware or not having the capacity to feel that compassion, that empathy for me at that time. And so I turned to my counselor, I turned to my psychiatrist, and they literally saved my life. They're the reason why I'm here today, because they responded in such a way that made me feel heard, that made me feel like I could be honest and open and vulnerable and not be judged. After you spoke with them and and they set up a game plan for you, did you feel like those thoughts went away? Did you feel like you, you feel better and you feel better now? Or is it like an ongoing process that you're still standing guard with those yeah. thoughts and, and with that, that you still have to be like, oh no, here it comes again. Okay. But here, I know what to do now. Yeah. It's, it's always going to be ongoing. I don't think that I'll ever be at a place in this life where I can 100% just be like, I'm healthy, I'm healed, done. So I'm, I'm constantly you know, making sure that I'm doing the right things. I'm making sure, am I getting enough sunlight every day? Am I getting exercise? Am I taking my medication? Am I, you know, spending time with people that I love? Uh, am I going to therapy, you know, every other week or whatever it is? And it's a constant thing that, you know, it's just as if you were trying to go to the gym to build up your muscles. You're trying to go to do all these things to build up your brain because, our brain is the most sensitive organ in our body. Right. And, you know, it takes a lot to build it up, but it can crash down really quickly. And so being able to stand guard, as you said, you know, one of my therapists called it constant vigilance. Um, you're constantly being vigilant in a way to help yourself uh, stand guard and help yourself promote that mental wellness in your life. So I know that you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as am I. And have you ever had the thought, why doesn't Jesus Christ just heal me? I mean, we have all these scriptures in um, the Bible and the Book of Mormon and even Doctrine and Covenants where Jesus Christ has healed people completely. We know he's capable of doing that. We know that we can receive priesthood blessings from loved ones um, and and be healed of our infirmities and, and, and of these, and of our afflictions. That's, that's his role, our mm -hmm. savior. Have you ever thought, why doesn't he just 
heal me? Or do you feel like he has healed you through being able to understand how to take care of yourself? Yeah, I've thought that thought dozens and dozens and dozens of times, <laughs> uh, more times than I can count. And, you know, I, I honestly feel like I have been healed in a sense of I've been given the capacity to help other people who are going through the same thing. And to me, that's better than not having experienced it in the first place, because now I have the empathy. Now I have the tools. Now I have the compassion to be able to help people who are going through similar things. You know, it's you know, research has said one in four people will experience some type of mental or emotional breakdown in their lives. And if you think about just in the United States alone, that's like 90 million people. And so there's so many people out there who need help. And if I hadn't gone through these things myself, I would just be one of those people who probably would see someone on the street and just automatically judge them and say, oh, that's a crazy person. Look at that freak show, whatever. But instead, I have the mindset of there must be something going on deeper there that we don't understand, you know. And then I start thinking of ways that I can help people who struggle. And I think that that's the greatest thing that Jesus could give me because he knew that I, deep down, even though it was really hard, he knew that eventually I'd be able to help people going through similar things. That's a really positive way of looking at it. Do you ever feel like it's unfair that Heavenly Father's letting you keep your trial to help others like well you need to help other people so i'm not going to take it away from you <laughs> but you yes. can help others you know i mean have, yes. have you ever thought that like oh well yeah. okay i guess i i get to live with this meg johnson who is a hero of mine who oh, is, i love her um, yeah she's amazing and she has so many incredible turtle talks and um mm -hmm. firesides that are on um this our turtle house app but I've often said to her, because she said the same thing, like, I'm supposed to help others. I'm supposed to ins inspire others. And I'm like, but how unfair that Heavenly Father made you be in a wheelchair mm -hmm. for other people, you know? And, 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 and she doesn't look at it that way. She said, I believe I chose this. I believe I knew what I was going to, um, what my life would be like before I came to earth. She's had some spiritual experiences mm -hmm. she shared before where she really, truly believes that, that she knew what her body would be like. She knew what would happen. She knew, and she chose it anyway. She wanted mm. to, she wanted the body. She wanted that experience. Um, so do you ever feel like hmm, that's unfair that I have to do this or, or do you feel humbled and honored that heavenly father would trust you to carry this, that he'll carry it with you and that mm -hmm. maybe in doing so you can bring others closer to him. I would say both. I, I've definitely prayed for this to go away. Um, and fasted and, you know, I received priesthood blessings that I would be healed and all this stuff. Uh, and obviously it's hard. It's hard to experience these feelings and these thoughts and to feel like no matter what I do, I'll never be a hundred percent. But at the same time, just like you said, it keeps me humble and it keeps me grateful that I have the ability to help other people. It keeps me grateful that I have the ability to be compassionate. Um, it, it's something that I feel like the world needs right now. And so I'm grateful that I can be one of the instruments to be able to promote that. What is your wife's name? Sabrina. Sabrina. Did, did your Sabrina 
know what your challenges were um, before she married you? Or was this something that you eventually shared later on in your marriage? Or, or did you, when you were dating, say, hey, just to be upfront, like, I've struggled with anxiety and, or were you still kind of going yeah. through that when you met her and, and what was, what was her, because she's so sweet. You'll, you'll post pictures of her and your daughter on social media. <laughs> this looks beautiful and smiling and supportive. Oh, and, um, what was her reaction when you said, I've kind of had some things I've dealt with in my life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what would you say for spouses that are married to someone who maybe they did or didn't know that they struggled with mental illness or addiction or suicidal thoughts and, how can they help their spouse get through and, and, and how can they get help if it's hard for them to, to, yeah. to, to live with the spouse that's, that's dealing with these things? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would always say that the spouse spouses, you know, or partner is always the first line of defense because they hopefully are the person who knows you the best and who's seen you at your worst and your most vulnerable parts of you. And when my wife and I were dating, I was very open about it. Because, you know, that was one of the things that a lot of girls didn't necessarily like about me or want to progress in the dating process with me about is because I had these underlying health conditions that were very stigmatized, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. And um, and so but when I told my now wife about it, she said, you know, I don't fully understand um, and I don't know if I'll ever fully understand how you feel but I want to try and be there for you still. Um, And that's something that anyone can do, regardless of whether you have personal experience with mental health challenges or not. You can tell your partner, you can tell your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, listen, I don't fully understand, but you can come to me and I'll listen and I'll be that shoulder that you can cry on. um, And I'll try and get you the help that you need and you deserve because I love you. And that's really all somebody needs when they're going through that really dark time is someone to say, I love you. I'm here for you. I don't judge you. What about, and what about Sabrina? Does she ever think, um, okay, this is actually a lot for me to deal with right now. This is a hard burden to carry to be, you know, have have the unload of Mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed or whatever it is. How does she stay positive and, and, and who, who helps her when she's, going through our, our therapist helps her <laughs> our therapist, our therapist. <laughs> no it's 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 real we we yeah. both see the same therapist for our individual needs and whatever and and whenever I have a hard time and it becomes overwhelming for her she'll get help from our therapist who will get who'll give her clarity and help her mindset and she'll leave therapy and she'll say oh I understand a little bit better what Drew's going through now um awesome. and for people that don't have a therapist or don't have access to a therapist, you can really talk to anyone who has an objective point of view because so often in relationships, our, our point of view is very subjective. It's very emotionally based. Yeah. Um, so more often than not, we just need to go to a trusted source who can have that objective point of view. And um, we obviously don't tell them everything. You know, a lot of this is very personal, but we can tell them enough where they can say, okay, well, maybe this is what they're feeling and maybe this is how you can help them. And maybe this is, you know, what you can do to increase that. So, well, and even just having someone else to just talk to Mm -hmm. just, you know, just, I, I, I know, um, I have some, uh, some awesome friends in my book club and we don't ever really hang out outside of book club ever. I don't know why we just, we don't, we don't ever hang out really. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and our spouses don't, 
really know each other. So we feel comfortable spilling and talking and having this group therapy session once a month where we all talk and, and get advice, knowing that we're not saying anything too personal and knowing that our husbands wouldn't feel comfortable because they're not going to see each other and they don't know, you know? Uh And so, and, and again, we don't, we don't share too much, but, but enough that we all feel like, okay, this is a, a safe place where we can go and vent and cry and, ah, oh, this is so hard. And, yeah. and this is so difficult and know that it's, it's kind of a safe place. So that's great advice to get I love that. a therapist or a friend or, or family members are hard because then you're like, well, then every time you see them, you'll be thinking about what I told you. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's almost like a friend that doesn't know him or someone, like you said, that can be objective and be like, okay, well maybe this is where they were coming from. Or, oh, my husband yeah. did that. And here's, here's what helped me or, just exactly. someone to listen to you vent. Yep, I That's love that. Great advice. Um, so, uh, how are you raising your? I know your daughter is so young right now, but what do you want your daughter to know about mental health and mental wellness? And will you encourage therapy and counseling early on? Like this is just what we do as a family. We see therapists. We talk to yeah. counselors. It's okay and it's normal. Mm-hmm. How are you going to teach her growing up in a family where that's so important to you and where you're such an advocate for mental health? Yeah, I would say the first thing is we're really trying to validate her, even as, you know, a toddler, because that's such a huge part of mental health is feeling validated and feeling assured and loved, regardless of how you're feeling. Yeah. And um, yeah, of course, we're going to raise her in a community that is very compassionate based. It's very, you know, we don't know the whole story of why people do what they do. Um, It's our job to be kind, to be gentle, try to be understanding, to be sympathetic. Uh, And yeah, she'll know that, you know, dad is a vulnerable guy who talks about depression and anxiety and mental health. And I I hope that that'll just kind of be second nature to her uh, if her friends ever come up to her and say, you know, why does your dad talk about this stuff that she can say, that's just what he does. He likes to help people. So that's the environment we're trying to raise her in. I love that and normalizing it. That's what he does. That's that, that's what my dad does. Um, yeah. are, what would you say to people that are worried that the more you talk about it, the more kids will start thinking, well, maybe I'm suicidal or maybe I have mm-hmm. mental health issues or maybe I, I know some people have said the more you talk about it, the more kids are going to be curious about it and think maybe they have those problems too. Would you agree or disagree with that? Well, I think that curiosity is fantastic. Um, I think that the more that we try and sweep it under the rug, the more difficult it is to talk about it. So if someone ever does need to talk about it, it's, they don't have a safe place to go. And so the more that we talk about it in an open and compassionate and vulnerable way, there's a difference between talking about it and <clears throat> saying, you know, people are weak or, you know, this is a, a mental failure on their part. And the opposite of saying, you know, mental illness mental wellness is good. Mental wellness is part of life. Mental health is the same as physical health. You know, we need to nourish it and strengthen it. Then that makes it so much easier for them to come and talk to mom, come and talk to dad, talk to a friend, an aunt, an uncle, a brother, sister. And it just expedites the healing process even more. I love that. Um, You posted recently on your Instagram, a little pink picture with a semicolon and you said it's okay to not be okay as we've talked about throughout this podcast suicide is september is suicide prevention month and um you posted a semicolon 
And of course, yeah. the semicolon is a period with a comma. So let's remember our English here. Yes. <laughs> let's remember our punctuation and what they That's mean. Right. So it's a semicolon. It's a it, it ends and continues a sentence. Yeah. It's kind of the in between. It's both. Yeah. Um, tell me why you posted a semicolon when talking about suicide. It's because, yeah, just like you said, I mean, a, a semicolon is is proof that something could have ended, but the author chose to continue the sentence. And so that's exactly what mental health is. That's what suicide prevention is. It's when someone can feel that, how close they are to it, how, how badly they don't wanna struggle and suffer anymore. And yet they have that, that little glimmer of hope left that says, life can get better for me. I'm gonna continue on this path and let's see what happens. And so I would say that's what the semicolon is. It's where we could choose to end the sentence. We could choose to end our lives, but instead we continue forward and say our sentence isn't over yet. I love that thought so much. Our sentence isn't over yet. And, and for families who have lost children to suicide or brothers or aunts or uncles or mothers or fathers, um, I believe that semicolon also represents hope that they put the period, but we know there's also a comma that, that yeah. of course we believe as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, life does go on. It is not final. It, it is not a period mm-hmm. ever. And that semicolon is, yes, in this life, it's it's ended now, but we believe life is eternal and, and we believe in repentance. We believe in hope. We believe in grace and in love and, and in eternal progression. And I hope that if there are families listening that have um, dealt with mental illness and, and even suicide, that they know that um, there is always hope in Christ, that he is always there for us and for our loved ones in this life and in the next life. Um, I have such a testimony of that. And I think that's the what gives me the greatest peace is whether you're going to deal with mental illness your whole life, as you said, you said, I this is just something that I'm going to have, I'm going to be yoked to the savior. He's, he's, he said that he would, you know, hand me your burden. He'll yoke himself to me. We'll do it together. And it, but it'll be something I'll be, I'll have to deal with the rest of my life. And, and yeah. whether it's that or whether it's, he'll come in a couple of years, COVID's going to take over the world. We're all going to die. Jesus is coming. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. The fires are burning, like the pestilence yeah. and disease. I'm all Okay. Jesus has got to be close. I don't yeah. know. Obviously, I have no idea, but maybe he will be here sooner than we know it and really, mm-hmm. truly heal us and take away those burdens completely. Or maybe it'll be in the next life. I don't know. But I know that you, Drew, have given so much hope and have done so much good through your platform, through your Instagram account, your books. Um, remind you. us one more time where people can go if they're like, okay, this is something I want to look into more. Maybe my child. I want to look into getting a therapist or counselor. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to talk to. How can people yeah. get a hold of you to help them maybe through this process? Yeah, just, I mean, reach out to me. Um, reach out to me on Instagram. Find me on Instagram. Mr. Drew B. Young is my username. Or send me an email, youngbandrew at gmail.com. And I'm going to do my best to respond to you. And I get people who ask me all the time, you know, for help. And I do my best to respond and give them the help they need. So please feel free to reach out. And and I think that's the biggest thing too is is whether it's to you or a trusted family friend or counselor like reach out, reach out, reach out. Don't be afraid to talk, don't be afraid to ask someone for help. 
don't be afraid to get that because um, Satan works in silence and he works in darkness. And mm-hmm. the longer we keep things to ourselves, the harder and more desperate and hopeless it can seem. But when you can speak out and reach out and and even just saying to a friend, I don't think I'm okay. There's amazing mm-hmm. things that, I mean, it, that can happen and doors that can open from even just saying that, that there are people there that are there for you and that love you and that need you here. Um, Again, Drew's books, they're on Amazon, right, Drew? They can get them on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, The Meaning of Your Mission, Lessons and Principles to Know You Are Enough, which is incredible. He talks about serving a mission, having those panic attacks, knowing that his mission was enough for him. Um, It's an incredible book, and and every missionary should read that. Every parent of missionaries Mm -hmm. should read that before they leave. Um, And then your next one, Stand Guard at the Door of Your Mind, which was just released in August of 2021. Um, about dealing with mental um, health and and wellness. And Drew, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today and for all the good you are doing. Thank you so much. It was my honor. I appreciate the platform. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-length talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.